Welcome to our series, Leadership in the Digital Age. I have the pleasure of welcoming today, Elizabeth de Doblier, Cisco's Vice President and Leader of the Sales Partner Organization for Europe, the Middle East, Africa, and Russia, EMEAR. In this role, Elizabeth is responsible for developing strategic growth initiatives and transformational programs to positively impact Cisco's partner business as Cisco evolves its portfolio and invests in customer lifecycle management. Elizabeth moved into this role from a previous post as Cisco's Vice President and Deputy General Counsel for EMEAR. An experienced international leader, during her nearly 20 years at Cisco, Elizabeth has held a variety of regional and global roles in its, across its legal, business operations, and services teams. In addition to her role leading the EMEAR partner organization, Elizabeth is also the executive sponsor for several key customers, as well as the Kenya, East Africa region. Originally from Belgium, where she is currently based, Elizabeth also spent eight years working in international roles from both Hong Kong and Egypt, roles that included the head of operations for Cisco's Middle East and Africa business, and the head of legal services for Cisco's service provider business in Asia Pacific, Japan, and China. A graduate of Harvard Law School and a Fulbright Scholar, Elizabeth also speaks several languages, including English, Flemish, Dutch, French, and German. Welcome, Elizabeth. Thank you so much, uh, Matthew. It's great to be here with you. So, getting right to getting right to it. Early in your career, you're a fresh graduate from Harvard Law School, starting out, wanting to change the world. What were your goals? Where did you want it all to go? Well, thanks, Matt. Well, often people ask me if you need to have a plan. And I will always say I didn't necessarily have this long-term plan on where I wanted to end up or who I wanted to be. I do remember that about 20 years ago when I started my career, I was very motivated to work really hard and uh, I was very committed to what I was doing. So I uh, started at a law firm in Belgium. Uh, it was the last few years before 2000. So uh, in the middle of the IT bubble uh, that then burst and worrying about Y2K. So I loved all of that. And I was very passionate, very committed and very hardworking. I think in those days also, I was very inspired by the people I worked with. Um, so I, I liked uh, learning from people. And I, I liked um, watching uh, leaders in action. So no specific plan, but uh, a lot of ambition, uh, very committed, uh, very open-minded. And um, yeah, I think that's a summary of how I felt and what I was thinking about 20 years ago. Great. And so you mentioned there Y2K, the technology bubble. I mean, looking back over your career, there's been quite a few technology trends. I mean, we've seen the mobile phone go to the smartphone, uh, the fax machine go to email, go to smartphones, go to digital business applications. Uh, can you look back and perhaps give the listeners some views on the impact that these technological changes had at the time? And as they've matured, how that's changed? Well, thank you, Matthew. So I, I actually was thinking about that uh, yesterday, preparing for this. And I thought I had my first email account when I studied at Harvard Law School, uh, which is uh, 97, 98. And um, from then, when I started at the law firm, we were still using fax. So I think in those days, most of our communications with our clients was over fax. But thinking about it now, that 
rapidly changed into email and then almost only email. And then now I think we are at a, at a stage where we don't use email that much anymore. We are using collaboration tools. Obviously, I work for Cisco, so uh, we use WebEx as a platform for everything. Um, and then I also was wondering, especially in the last few months, thinking about the impact of COVID-19 and everyone going virtual, that my, my full days right now are very much about video calling. I probably spend most of my working hours just on video, talking to people. So I think that's probably the, the biggest shift uh, in terms of how I adapted to it. I think it all went quite naturally and smoothly. I remember that the biggest shift was going from fax to email. But after that, I can't remember having ever had any issues uh, going along with the technology. Obviously, I, I do work at Cisco, so we've always been very fortunate um, working with and using uh, best-in-class technology. Hmm. So you've, we take the technology side, and obviously technology is an enabler, but you know, you've been leading and managing people for most of your career. And people talk a lot about leadership traits, you know, and management books keep developing new formula, when I started out, it was all about action or incentive orientated leadership. You know, what do you feel makes an effective leader? And has your view on leadership changed throughout your career? Um, yes and no. I think initially when I shifted from being an individual contributor, as they say, to managing other people, I do remember very clearly that the basic principle of treat other people, the way you want to be treated, uh, is definitely a very, uh, very effective guidance. And so I've, I've kept that with me all along the years. And I think trust, uh, respect for others, um, listening also. I think listening goes a, a long, long way. Authenticity as well. Obviously, as a leader, you sometimes have to make really tough decisions, uh, including um, letting people go or helping them to move to other roles. And all of that assumes and requires authenticity and trust. So I think that's um, a huge thing that, that is essential to any effective leader. But then beyond that, I think in terms of what I've learned along the years, is that when your gut feel tells you that something is not right, you should just follow it. I, I think sometimes... I've hesitated or I've taken too long to take certain decisions that actually I knew quite early on were the right ones. Um, and so I think this, this idea about not hesitating to make tough decisions, that's an important one as well. You need to have the guts. I think leadership does come with guts as well. You have to have the guts and the courage to take the decisions when you have to take them. And I think that's really important. And then finally, people often ask me, how can you be successful in your career? And um, this is something my grandfather used to say, which is actually a Greek saying, um, right? so know yourself. The more you know yourself and the better you know uh, what your talent is and what your strengths are, and the more you enhance and develop those and look for opportunities that allow you to excel based on what you uniquely can do very well, the more successful you will be because the more you will enjoy what you do and the more you will be good at it as well. So I think knowing yourself and being true to yourself is also very important. No, thanks for that. I think particularly that authenticity, that lack, not hesitating and following your instincts. Uh, I think obviously those are, are key things that people really take to heart. 
But building on that, I suppose, a little bit is that you have been managing and leading people for quite some time now. And obviously, in different scenarios as well, you've worked in Hong Kong, you've worked in Cairo, uh, you've worked across completely different segments of, of operations. But obviously, with that comes hard decisions. Could you give me a couple of examples of really hard decisions you've had to make? And at the time when you did them, how did you manage their outcomes? Um, I think hard decisions are the ones that impact other people. So um, I've had to, along the years, when I um, took over a team or when I was managing a team, sometimes decide that a certain person in the team wasn't the right fit for the role or for the team. And then I think uh, that's typically quite tough because it talks to you as a human being and you are aware that you're impacting another person's employment and hence livelihood. So doing that, I think those are probably the toughest decisions I've had to make. But I still think that they are really important because um, at the end, um, everybody, I think, in the workplace wants to have a sense of persons and, uh, purpose and wants to feel valued and impactful. And when the job is not the right fit or the team or the role is not the right fit, then as a leader, you have the obligation to talk to the person about that openly and ideally help the person to find another role or if that's not possible, uh, make an exit in a way that is respectful for, of that person and ideally helps the person to find uh, a new role. So over the years, I've had to uh, terminate employment of people in my team, but I'm quite proud of the, of the fact that afterwards I, I offered to give them references and I've helped them find roles that were actually much better for them and where they were able to thrive afterwards. Yes, and I think obviously that's, you know, as you say, it's very important. It's that authenticity and that integrity of character that you've mentioned before. And having talked now a little bit about that new technology and then a little bit about leadership, let's talk a little bit now about how the two kind of intersect. Um, do you see technology as a tool or do you see it for a critical element for today's leaders or, you know, perhaps somewhere in between? That's a great question, Matthew. And I think, again, in against the context of COVID-19, is it a tool? Is it an enabler? Um, I would say absolutely yes. Uh, the world wouldn't have been able to shift to, to virtual everything without technology. And we've all been working possibly harder than ever before. I think a lot of people are saying uh, the last few months have been really intense. Um, so I, I think, is it essential and an enabler? Absolutely yes. As I was thinking about this question, I think it does come with a lot of discipline in the sense that, um, for example, right, the typical multitasking during a video call uh, where it's much easier to be distracted and to do something else uh, whilst you're in the meeting, which is not possible in a physical meeting. So I think technology is great, but you have to have a discipline as in when you are engaging with someone over video, uh, it still requires you to be present in the meeting and listen. And if you're not able to do that, it's better not to be in the meeting. Multitasking doesn't work, whether you are connected uh, with your phone or over the video or doing emails at the same time, it still doesn't work. So I think the basic human principles of interaction where people, uh, when, they when they want to have a meaningful conversation, they should be all in and aware and listening to the other person, then that still applies uh, when you're on a video call 
or uh, using technology instead of being a physical environment. But I would argue that I started a new role um, just three, three months and a bit ago, which was in the first week of my company going into global lockdown and also the first week of lockdown in my home country in Belgium. So I've been doing a new role which covers EMIR, as you explained, uh, from my home office. And I would argue that I've been really successful and effective at it. Um, but it doesn't take away that you're still, you know, the basic human principles of relationship and interaction apply also using technology. Yeah, and I think that has been a, across the series has been a critical feedback from everybody. It's that uh, you have to be present, as you said, and you have to respect the other person in the meeting. Uh, as you said, it's very easy to be distracted or to get distracted in today's kind of emoji world. And then thinking about that, of course, is that because technology has changed so much, particularly in the last three years, when we think back, uh, what are the three things do you think in the last three years that have taught you the most about how you know technology has changed and how it's intersected with business? Um, I, I think one thing that I find really special is that things that a couple of years ago we all said would never work, talk about talking to a, a chat um a chat box um, when doing online shopping or uh, doing everything from your home office or uh, doing difficult meetings uh, over video, all those things have kind of evaporated. I think we're all now really used to talking to a chat box when we buy things online or when we are talking to or trying to get something done uh, in you know from the human resource department um, or downloading a form when we're dealing with our... Um, uh, local municipality and things like that. So I think the human behavior has adapted quite a bit um, in doing a lot of things um, online and in a virtual world. And I think we, we should not underestimate how quickly we can all adapt and adjust. Not saying, again, based on what I said before, that it, go, it comes with discipline and um, continuing to be mindful of the essence of the human interaction. So as long as we are respectful of that, I think technology can do a huge amount of things and we should not be close-minded of the exponential possibilities. Yes, and you know, thinking about, obviously, the development of technology we've talked about is that the talent of tomorrow is also a lot different from when you, know, you and I started uh, in, in our working careers. I mean, they certainly are now born digital natives uh, there's many new languages, like you said, people are not afraid to talk to chatbots anymore. Uh, there's an emoji for everything. Uh, what do you look for in new talent into the workplace, new management positions or, or those who are about to be promoted as leaders or, you know, are in zone for leadership a little bit down the road? What, what is it that stands out for you for those people? And uh, how would you sort of identify them as, as leaders of tomorrow? I think only one thing, really, it's eagerness, hunger to make an impact um, and ambition. I think that's all that matters uh, because you can learn so many things and things change anyway. I had a couple of years, um, I had a role supporting the cloud business in Cisco. And um, I happened to say to the leader at the time, I said, well, to be honest, I've worked at Cisco for the last few years, so I don't necessarily know that much about cloud. And he said, it doesn't matter 
because even those who started with cloud in the last few years, they are still being disrupted and adapting. So I hired you not for your knowledge of cloud. I hired you because of your character. So I think that's really the most important thing is the eagerness and the hunger to continuously learn and make an impact. I think that that's uh, what I typically look for. I don't look for 20 years of experience in whatever topic. I like to look for, for that character. That is, I mean, I think an essential element of this is that because people said, you know, before you could have a job for life and now you might have a job every three years and maybe two or three different careers. But throughout that, of course, you're a woman in technology and are, uh, there are not that many women in technology despite what people think these days. So how do you find that diversity of teams and, uh, the, and the diversity of views plays in sort of for the talent of tomorrow, but also in how you also look at when you build your own teams as well? Well, I think it's a critical and an essential thing. It actually links to what I said before, right? If you want to have a high-performing team uh, with ambitious and hungry people in it, then uh, it has to be diverse as well. So you have the best, um, the best possible informed outcome for decisions and perspectives um, and viewpoints. And so building diverse teams is really essential to have high-performing teams. I think... At Cisco, when we had our new CEO, well, he's not so new anymore, he's in his fourth year now, Chuck Robbins, um, he made a very explicit statement, having a diverse 50-50, uh, gender diverse um, um, leadership team. And then my own um, boss right now is also uh, the president of the region, is also a woman. Actually, it's the first time in my career that I am working for a woman, which tells you. Um, but I think that diversity of perspective, not just gender, is just critical to be able to adapt um, in an agile way to the changing environment. And I, with that sort of changing environment, I'm sure that you're asked to speak at schools or to university students or to you know groups of uh, young people who are sort of setting out in the world, as it were. Um, looking back when you know business leaders spoke to you when you were at Harvard. Put yourself in their shoes. And what advice would you give to those aspiring leaders today? I mean, we've talked a little bit about, obviously, uh, authenticity and, uh, and eagerness. Is there anything else that kind of springs out that you would tell them as they move into the workplace, how they can differentiate themselves? Well, I would say three things. I think the first one would be uh, all of us have these kind of little voices in our heads, these mental blocks, if you want, that tell us, you will never be able to do this or that because. Um, and so I think the first thing you need to do is remove those or at least be self-aware. Um, I think it's really important to be convinced that you can do anything you want. I think this is especially applicable um, to women. Um, I've had once uh, uh, an enlightening, in a way, career development discussion with a colleague of mine who was a very effective female account manager and she said to me that 10 years earlier, she had just decided she was never going to, quote unquote, make a career because she didn't want to be a bad mother. So I think, and she was really shocked when she found out that I have two children and I would like to think I'm not a bad mother. So she, I think those self-limiting beliefs are very dangerous um, because they may um, limit the possibilities of what you are able or wanting to, come, to become. Then I think the second one is 
you need to be back to the being self-aware. The more you are aware of what you enjoy doing, what you're good at doing, and then look for those opportunities that um, allow you to show and display those strengths and further develop them. I think that's also really important. And then third, um, find a great boss. Um, I think there are not that many great bosses around, to be honest. You were one of them for me, uh, Matthew. But I think there, you know, I've had, I've now worked about 20 years or so. And I've had, I would think, probably 18 bosses. I would say I've had three really good ones, a lot of average ones, and then a couple of really bad ones. So I think finding a great boss, especially early in career, is very, very important. And often when you speak to people, they will uh, relate that uh, bosses in the beginning of their career help them to accelerate. So I would say that's also really important. Mm. Yes, uh, <laughs> I'd have to definitely agree with you on that last point. <laughs> so, so a quick thought, one word answer. Leaders, made or born? Uh, tough, tough, but I'll say born. Born, okay. Any thoughts on, on backing that up? Uh, uh... Yeah, I find it very difficult, but I think there's something like natural leadership, the ability to rally people behind you um and i think some yeah some of that is born i think you can learn being a manager but uh, the talent of rallying people behind you uh i would yeah it's a tough one matthew you made me choose <laughs> <laughs> so an even tougher one and as a final question you know we've we've sort of talked around COVID-19 on a couple of the questions, but it's difficult not to bring it up as a, something that's really probably going to be a, a once in a generation, once in a lifetime experience for many people. And so for the workplace of tomorrow, you know, post COVID-19, and hopefully that post comes sooner rather than later, what do you think uh, coming out of this is going to influence your leadership style? And, and how would you use that to mentor the leaders of tomorrow who perhaps in 10 years' time, you know, they're, they're not even yet at uh, university and they come into the workplace and they've gone through this, but not in a, in a business environment. Well, what I thought about that is that, you know, we need to learn and we need to think and we need to get good at building trusted relationships in a virtual world. I think that's the key. Um, how do we engage with each other and connect with each other in that virtual world, because I think it's going to be unavoidable in the future um, uh, not to do that. Now, the good thing about the virtual world is that it does solve some other issues we have in the world today, right? Whether it's uh, climate change or the mobility issues and the like. So I think the more effective we are about how, do, how to build those trusted relationships in a virtual world, the better it will be. Yes, I think that is, I mean, and I really thank you for the time today. Uh, I, 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 my big takeaways have been about really is treating people with respect, uh, following your instincts, uh, creating, a, a, an, a, I suppose, a, a climate of trust in your teams and across the organizations you work in, and obviously finding a good boss early in your career that uh, can help you along the way. So, Elizabeth, I'd really like to thank you and obviously wish you the best with the rest of uh, what's left of COVID-19 and managing remotely. Uh, but really, above all, thank you for your time today. It's been very, very insightful. Thank you so much, Matthew. It was fun. <laughs>